Well, hi there, and welcome to my podcast where I invite you to run with me after memories and shape them into stories. On this show, I'll also share samples of my writing and interesting moments from everyday life. I'm your host, Ruru Sig, and today you're listening to my first podcast, The Story Chaser. Welcome back, folks. Season 2, Episode 4 of The Story Chaser. Um, Tonight's piece of writing is going to be broken up into two parts, part one being this week and the continuation part two next week's episode. Um, So a little different, but I just wanted to forewarn you. And of course, I'll bring it up at the end of the episode as well. And before I get into that piece of writing, I wanted to talk a little bit about the title, which is You Are Exactly Who You Say You Are. And that came from um, my brother, Mac, who has a way with words. And that was one phrase he used, and it saved my inner artist. And I think about it, honestly, daily. We were poolside, and my brother was wearing a cowboy hat because um, he's always in some sort of costume. And I can't possibly explain that here tonight, but don't worry. He's going to be getting his own episode someday. And anyway, I was beaten down and discouraged, feeling like my creative endeavors had been all for nothing. And I said, bro, I just want to be a writer, you know? And sometimes I feel like I'll never be. He took a long, silent pause, which was more for dramatic appeal than time to find his thoughts. And after all, in that moment, he was a cowboy enjoying the afternoon sun. He removed his hat, held it close to his chest while looking at me and said, You are exactly who you say you are. And don't forget it, little lady. And I never did. Remember that, folks. We are always exactly who we say we are. So let's be stars. And now tonight's piece of writing, a work in progress, entitled Mortified. When I was 11 years old, I sent a letter to Dustin Hoffman, using a P.O. box from a book of Addresses to the Stars that I had received as a Christmas present that year. Laying flat on my stomach on my bedroom floor with my crisscrossed feet, upright and swaying behind me, and my tongue hanging out of the corner of my mouth, I penned with great fervor, Dear Mr. Hoffman, please make me an actress because I think I would be good at it. I love your movies and I have some ideas for new ones too. I signed my name, folded it neatly, and slid it into an envelope. After stealing a stamp from my dad's sock drawer, I dropped my fate into the mailbox and was confident that Dustin would respond by sending me a limo, rescuing me from the sixth grade and my adolescent life. I was certain that I had been destined for greatness. Sometime after sending that letter and searching around every corner for a limo, My science teacher, a woman who wore a short, blunt, dark haircut set upon her deep, wolf-like blue eyes upon her flushed cheeks, which made her appear to be angry at all times, but really she was just serious, marched upright back and forth in front of the chalkboard, both arms making perfect L-shapes at her side, 
and taught us the periodic table. She took short breaks to sip at what seemed like a perpetual can of Diet Coke. Her name was Mrs. Z, and she was systematic in every movement, her mere existence being a precise scientific equation. I struggled to comprehend any of her language until her final statement that day being, Before we end today, I would like to invite you all to my after-school acting class. As she handed out piles of permission forms to the front row of children, taking one and passing the pile to the row of others behind them. Mrs. Z's after-school acting class cost $20. Will be held every Thursday for four weeks. Learn the art of performing. Well, this was a surprise. And like most signs from God, which is exactly how I saw it, it came from the last person I ever suspected. She was holding an acting class in the very same building I had to go to every day anyway. I figured I could take the class, it would be good practice, until Dustin sent for me. I returned the next day with a signed permission slip and a check from my mother who encouraged this wholeheartedly. The acting class consisted of about eight children, and day one we waited patiently as Mrs. Z's mouth followed her Diet Coke all the way down to the desk as if it were a long, painful goodbye to a loved one. She stood straight, took a look at her students of theater, and grinned while dropping her shoulders. Well, all right, let's have some fun, she said in a different tone than her science-driven direct voice we were used to. We looked at each other, shrugging and embracing the sudden feel of the room, being, just go with it. She plugged in a little radio and put on some classic rock at a low tone and started talking about getting into character. Clearly, hers was uptight teacher becoming cool person, and it was delightfully shocking. She paired us up in twos and had us face each other. Then she handed each pair a piece of dialogue to read back and forth in different emotional tones. Angry, sad, happy. We laughed with her as the exercise broke down any walls of intimidation we carried and felt comfortable enough by the end of the hour to let her know how surprised we were to be having so much fun. She circled us Now, with a slow, satisfied pace, her arms loose at her side and her head low to conceal her pressed lip smile. Perhaps she was just as surprised and feeling somewhat accomplished. Hang back a sec, Mrs. Z asked of me, now seated at her desk. I finished putting my coat on and approached. There I stood, as I had in previous times, when she told me that the D on my science test was her being generous. D for dang. Am I right, guys? One-on-one chats with a teacher would be a regular occurrence I had accepted as the fate of a horrible student. But this was different. I held the straps of my book bag tight, then unclenched my fingers when the streetlights from outside the window shined a satisfying warmth in her eyes. She looked at me and smiled, almost relieved, saying with a surrendering little chuckle, You're really good. Like, really good. 
And I hope you keep coming back to this and look further into more acting opportunities. For the first time, I floated out of that school. The hang back a sec would be something I continued to hear through high school, despite my continuous record of horrible marks from acting teachers as I did pursue theater. Your monologue was riveting. Or, I really appreciate the depth you took your character. And English teachers who would want to discuss where I had drummed up the ideas for a story submitted or curious to know the poignant inspiration for a poem I had written. Meanwhile, Dustin Hoffman had continued to make films without me. In my 20s, because you all learned in a previous episode how much I love announcements, I announced to my family that I was ready to act in films. And my siblings whispered over the infants in their arms, confidently living vicariously through my dream. Yes, I love this. Go for it. I told them that I would continue to wait on tables and tend bar, but it wouldn't take long because I was really good. Still holding on to Mrs. Z's words. I appeared to be somebody with a real plan, and I believed that I was. And that plan was to sit down and search Craigslist for open casting calls. Hey, how could that steer me wrong? Nah, I didn't need any guidance or professional management. All I needed was an opportunity to meet Mr. Hoffman, shake his hand, and let him know it was me who wrote him that worn-down letter he had carried in his pocket all these years. I was on my way, and I told this to every table I placed a pizza down at in between jotting their second-round drink orders. My 20s were flipping by faster than a Rolodex. I had been on many, many casting calls. I actually had a few roles in some independent films. Girl Who Was Killed in Mid-Air. That one filmed at 1 a.m. And over and over and over again, I leapt into the air while a gangster character shot at me with a prop machine gun. I then rolled onto the ground to die. In another, I was girl shopping, and in that one, I picked out random supplies to place in a shopping cart. The stage was more loving to me as I actually landed a couple of lead roles in local productions, ones I will always be proud of because they rejuvenated those words spoken over a distressed teacher's desk to my heart. You're really good. But... There were many disappointing times in my quest for a film career. I once sat across from a director, my face done up with makeup, a beautiful camel-colored beret resting upon my head, I, wide-eyed and hopeful, hanging on to his feedback from my read I just performed. And he put his hands in mine and said, Am I crazy, or are there sparks between us? I walked away, and he bellowed after me, Don't walk away from your future, honey. But I walked on anyway, only only to be met with a $100 parking ticket tucked under my windshield wiper. 
It wasn't the Mary Tyler Moore moment I fantasized about walking into that casting call. One where I would throw my beret into the air. Instead, I toss it onto my passenger seat floor. I had a bar full of people waiting, and I'd rather pretend to be happy with serving them than any clown preying on a person's dream. Another disaster was the time I found myself running on a 95-degree day through the downtown streets of Chicago while looking over my shoulder. I was in a costume, my face painted bright white, wearing a black turtleneck and black stretch pants because I decided to sing during a show. I couldn't carry a tune, and it wasn't even my part. The director furiously followed behind me for a little while and then gave up as I booked on. I began to question my talent and was now dreading the chats with my siblings who were chasing after full-grown children now, those once infants, but intermediately conversing with me and where I was at with the dream. What are you doing exactly, was how the questions would go. And I eventually admitted, well, I'm making the best Bloody Marys that bar has ever seen, pretending to be proud. Neither them nor I convinced. The lowest moment, though, was in my late 20s, real late, like 30, just a breath away. I landed a promotional role for the upcoming release of the film Charlotte's Web, a charming adaptation starring Dakota Fanning and Julia Roberts. I received a phone call telling me I was hired and to report to the mall just a few suburbs away from where I lived. I arrived wearing the required overalls and straw hat and reported to the employee lounge as directed. A man with a headset microphone connected by cord leading to a black square battery pack attached at his belt led me through the crowded mall, drawing more attention to my farmer ensemble than I liked. We arrived at a squared-out area hosting a fake red barn resting upon green plastic turf made to look like grass, enclosed by a white picket fence in the center of the mall. The barn, the same size as a playhouse often seen in backyards, forced us both to duck under the doorway to enter. Inside, we hunched over face-to-face in front of the television mounted to the wall. He pressed the on button and explained it was my job to promote the film to any children passing by. Eh, let them run around, play, whatever. Just make sure they see this and the screen began to play the trailer for the film on a continuous loop. He left, and I was left, standing with one foot braced against a make-believe barn. I tilted my straw hat down, outlining the silhouette of a dreamer facing a hard reality. I honored the cheesy script provided for the mall-goers. Hey, kids, you want to come in here and see the greatest movie of all time? I waved my arms towards me while saying, and mothers held their children a little closer, walking on faster past me in the farm. It didn't take long for me to realize how weird that really was. A grown woman, dressed like an oversized farm girl, asking their children to come into my little barn and watch TV? Okay, yeah, 
I was definitely starting to understand their disgust and fear. Eventually, I found myself sitting upon a plastic haystack inside the barn, staring out a window with no glass, mouthing the words to a now-memorized movie trailer. I banged my head on the V-shaped arch when standing up, forgetting the low ceiling, and I threw my straw hat straight down on the ground and shouted to no one, Does someone mind telling me just where the hell Dustin Hoffman is? I was losing ground fast. The end of part one. Part two will pick up next week. Thank you. Well, this is as good a place as any to end this episode. My name is Ruru Sig, and I thank you for listening to The Story Chaser. Remember, there are stories everywhere. The key is to focus in on the little memories to find the bigger moments. My promise to you is that I'll keep chasing those stories. Be well, folks, and go ahead. Have a wonderful life.